Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is our victory day and we should laugh and have some fun, you know? You know, life is a serious business. Now, come on, it's a serious deal. As a matter of fact, I want to show you in Philippians 3 just how serious it is. If I had to pick one passage that describes my life or summarizes my life, it's going to be Philippians 3, beginning in verse 10, where Paul says, I want to know Jesus Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, I want to share in his sufferings and I want to become like him in his death. And he says in verse 12, God inspired this. I didn't write this. God did. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this stuff or I've already been made complete, but I press on. I press on to take hold of it. See, brothers, I don't consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what lays behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead and I press on toward that goal. That's my life. Is it your life? I just keep straining. I just keep pressing to be more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And every time I sin or have a conglomeration of sins, I just keep kicking myself in the butt every day. But I press, I press, I press toward that goal of being more like Jesus Christ. And when a day is over, I'm forgiven by the mercy of God. And I start the next day and I press and I press and I press. And the same routine is going to go on until I die. And folks, I got to tell you this. It is not drudgery. My life is not a drudgery to press on, to know Christ, to become more like him. I mean, that is the joy of my life. And we can rejoice as believers in Jesus Christ. We can laugh. We can tell wife jokes. We can tell blonde jokes because we are the winners. I mean, we are the winners. And today confirms that, man, Jesus lives. I mean, these guys were gloomy. I mean, these followers of Jesus after his death, I mean, they put their hopes in this Jesus. And they really believed he was the Messiah that the Old Testament promised and looked forward to. I mean, many of his, his followers saw his body, his beaten body, carry that cross through Jerusalem, and they carried the cross past the town hall, past the meat shop, past the market, past this shop, past the flower shop, past another shop, and finally outside the city gates of Jerusalem, he collapses under the weight of that cross. And Simon of Cyrene comes and picks it up and carries it, but very few people went up that hill with him. And they talked about the death. Very matter of fact, just like other crucifixions, crucified between two criminals happens every day. A few people said he was different because he prayed for his persecutors. He prayed for those guys, but he still died. So you're a follower of Jesus. What's going to happen in your life now? I mean, I mean, I mean, he was your hope. He was your hope. Somehow you don't know exactly how. He, he was going to make everything right. I mean, he encouraged people with his words. He made the sickest people well. He expelled demons from people, even raised people from the dead. And you put your hope in this guy. He's the Messiah. I mean, consider, consider the injustice. All the exorbitant taxes the Jews paid, they were under Roman domination. There was injustice all around. But you, a follower of Jesus Christ, knew that somehow, somehow this guy would make it all right. You didn't know how. And now he's dead. Now he's out of your life. So you're asking yourself, what do I do now? And that's how Cleopas, C-L-E-O-P-A-S, felt. 
Cleopas is walking with his friend who is unnamed. We're in Luke 24 today. Luke 24, this is verse 18. In verse 18, the word of God says, Luke 24, um, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem and you don't know the things that, the, the things that have happened these days? And so they're leaving Jerusalem, he and his friend, it's Sunday afternoon. Jesus had risen. They're heading out of Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus, seven miles away. And see, whenever Jesus Christ went up north to Galilee, he preached up there, Cleopas couldn't go and his friend. But when he came down to Jerusalem and taught in the temple, taught in the synagogues, taught in the hillsides, anywhere that Jesus was, Cleopas and his buddy were there. I mean, they were consumed with Jesus. He was their hope. Now he's dead. Now what? I mean, this is a neat story. This is verse 13 of Luke 24. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them. Now listen to this, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus allowed a supernatural blindness to fall over these guys' eyes so they couldn't recognize him. And there's a reason for that, and we'll get into that. But what's happening here is this. What's happening is these guys are walking along and, they're, um, and Jesus walks along next to them and it says in verse um, 13, verse 17, as they walked along, Jesus said, what are you talking about, guys, together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and you don't know the things that have happened? And they said, mister, are you the only, I mean, do you have your head buried in the sand? You've been on Venus for the last few weeks. You don't know what's going on here. And Jesus Christ kind of sets them up. He says, what things? Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed among, among the people of God. And then our chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now look at these next words, NIV Bible, but we had hoped that he was the one to deliver Israel. And then to make the whole deal worse, we hear all these rumors. I mean, that some women went to the tomb and an angel's there, and the angel said, he's not here. And the disciples went to the tomb and they saw the same thing. They saw an empty tomb. He wasn't there. And all these rumors are floating around. And that's just adding insult to injury. That's cruel to give us this kind of hope. And then to dash our hopes to the ground. What these guys were saying is nobody rises from the dead. When you're dead, you're dead. Now remember, they're saying all this to Jesus. And he's the risen Lord. But they didn't recognize him. There was a supernatural blindness. And so they say all these rumors are floating around all over the place. So what are these rumors all about? Let's go back to the true story in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we read about a couple of guys named Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, Pharisees who came out of the closet for Jesus and claimed the body of Jesus Christ, and they put him in a brand new tomb, and a tomb is nothing more than, 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 than a cave hewn out of rock. And they seal it with this big stone. You guys all know that, and you ladies too, you know that. And this angel... I mean, I mean, Matthew 28, 1, after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, look to, went to look at the tomb. They are going to embalm his body because they put him in the tomb on Passover. He couldn't work on the Passover. On the way, listen, there's a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now you got to get into this. I mean, I mean, his appearance was like lightning, like lightning. 
his clothes as white as snow. See, and so, so here's the women. They, 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 they see the tomb. They see this dazzling, this dazzling angel sitting on the, on the stone that sealed the tomb. And so the angel is naturally going to ask, or the angel is naturally going to say to the women, he says, don't be afraid. Of course they're going to be afraid. He, always in scripture, the angels say, don't be afraid because angels dazzle. Angels are awesome. Angels will blow you away. And so they have to say, don't be afraid. And then the angel says, I know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And now you get to the guts of our faith in verse 6 of Matthew 8. Matthew 28, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. And then just this little dig, just like he said. They should have known he would rise. He said it over and over and over again. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. They should have known that. And so he says, you want more proof? Come on in. Find a clue, find a thread, find a hair, get whatever you need. But folks, he ain't here. He has really risen. Now, he says, go tell his disciples that he's still alive. Some more evidence. Listen to this, verse 8, Matthew 28. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. I love that. I mean, the mixture of emotions, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> he met them and said, greetings. And they came to him and they grabbed his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee and there they will see me. Notice the emotions, fear and great joy. Now back, back to Luke 24. Those are all the rumors. So Cleophas' buddies are still on the road to this little village of Emmaus. And our Lord's with them. And they just said, we heard all these rumors. And Jesus said, he kind of shook his head, verse 25. He said, how foolish you are. How slow of heart, listen now, to believe all the prophets. All the prophets have spoken about it. You know what Jesus just said? He said, man, you got the whole Bible. You got the whole Old Testament. Prophesize of me and you just ain't getting it, guys. <laughs> And so, verse 27, beginning with Moses, that, that, that's the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he explained or expounded Scripture to them concerning himself. And so he's taking them out. A seven-mile Bible study, man. And he's going from Genesis all the way to the New Testament. He's showing them exactly what the Bible says about his resurrection. And I'm sure he taught them. Psalm 16.10. David writes, Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Who's the Holy One? That's the Messiah. That's the Lord. You will never let your Holy One see decay. He took him to Isaiah 53, verse 11. Check this. After the suffering of his soul, that's the Messiah, he will see the light of life. I'm supposed to rise. It's all right here. It's in the Word of God. And he expounds that thing to these guys, and these guys are just, just they're drinking it up. They're mesmerized. And now they arrive at the village of Emmaus. They arrive at their destination. And our Lord kind of takes the blinders off. They look at each other, and they say, it's him. They say, it's him. It's you. And then he disappears in his resurrected body. When you get a resurrected body, you're up in heaven. It's going to be like Jesus' body. You're going to be able to disappear. Anyway, listen to Luke 24, this verse 32. 
what these guys say in Luke 24, 32. They say, I'm just, I, I just know it. I don't have to read it. Didn't our hearts burn within us? Man, didn't our hearts burn as he told us all those scriptures and everything was enlightened, everything unfolded. Now, this word of God says a few things to us. It says hundreds of things. The story of the resurrection. But today I want to look at three things, and here's thing one, most important thing. What does the resurrection say to you and me today who live in this culture? He is God. Too many people say he is only a man and he is not God. I mean, this word of God, the story of the resurrection, proves beyond doubt he is God. Who is Jesus Christ? Everybody's got to deal with that question. Who is, how would you answer that question? Who is Jesus Christ? There's only one answer. One. He is true God, not just a man. He is true God and true man in the same person at the same time. Who is Jesus Christ? One answer. This is the only correct answer. He is true God and true man in the same body or the same person at the same time. And the resurrection proves he's God. Sure, the Father in heaven had a part in raising him from the dead. We know the Father raised him from the dead, but this was a cooperative effort, Charlie. I'll tell you, he helped raise himself from the dead. I'm just going to read to you John 10, 17. The reason my Father loves me, said Jesus, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes my life from me. No one pushed me to the cross. I did this voluntarily. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Now listen, I lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Now there you are. You're dead. You're laying in the tomb. Is there blood flowing in your veins? No. Is your heart beating? No. Are your lungs working? No. And all of a sudden you will. You will your blood to flow. You will your heart to beat. No, you don't. Because you can't do that. But you know what he did? He did. But he's, not, he's, also, he's also God. And he wills in his deadness, if you will. He wills his blood to flow. He wills his own heart to beat. And his own will overcomes the death. He wills his body to move. And he gets up off that cold stone slab and the angel, remember that dazzling angel, moved that stone and the light's shining in. Can you imagine him walking out there, the dead man? Thank you, Father. And he walks off. See, this day cinches that. He is God. How do people see Jesus today? Like a prophet. A prophet's only a man. You know how many people say, you know, Jesus was a great prophet. And the Father, God in heaven, worked through him. He did some mighty things. He was the only prophet. See, a prophet's a man, like Muhammad, like Buddha. A way to God. That's how people see Jesus, like Muhammad, like Buddha. They say it's a way to God. There's many ways to God. But not the only way to God. And not God, certainly not God. Listen, the Bible won't allow that, folks. Dead people don't rise under their own steam. Mohammed died, Buddha died, but Jesus is alive. And that's why when people tell me I believe in God, that says nothing about their salvation. You can tell me you believe in God till you're blue in the face. And I'm not going to say you're going to heaven because you can conceive of God any way you want. You can make God out to be anything you want in your mind. So tell me you believe in God. Maybe you believe in some blue thing up in the sky that flies. I have no idea what that is. I mean, you can make God without anything you want to be. But, but when you tell me, I believe in Jesus Christ, who is both God and man in the same person at the same time, then I know you have salvation. I mean, over and over again, I mean, Jesus said this to the religious Jews. 
He said, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. And unless you believe that, said Jesus, you don't have eternal life. If Jesus is just a man for you, hear me please. If he's only true man and not true God, Jesus said it. I didn't. You don't have eternal life. If all he is to you is a prophet, if he's only a man who did great things, a man capable of great love, a great moral example, if that's all he is, and not true God from the Father, you don't have eternal life. Now, some people don't want to believe he's God, and that only makes sense. I mean, if he's only a prophet, you don't have to obey him. But if he's God, that means he's sovereign. And as God, he's got the right to make the rules. And if God has the right to make the rules, then I have to obey the rules. And a lot of people don't like that. See, if Jesus Christ is God, when he says in Matthew chapter 6, if you lust after a woman, you've already created adultery in your heart. And that means you need to confess that sin before God. And you need to go to the Father and ask Him to forgive that sin. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit for the power to fight those thoughts. And then you dig in your whole life, man. You just dig your heels in and you fight those thoughts. And that's what you have to do if you believe He is God. But if you don't believe He's God, I mean, you name the sin. Then you make your own rules. You determine right from wrong. God doesn't determine right from wrong, and can you see why that is so popular? And if you determine right and wrong, if he's only man to you and not God, I'll tell you what, you're going to be forever frustrated. I mean, you'll seldom deny yourself anything. I mean, if you make the rules, why are you going to deny yourself anything? You wouldn't deny yourself. And you know what? You is going to be the most spoiled, selfish person on earth. Because everything is going to reflect on you, see. And here's another thing, you're going to be forever lost. Now, if he is God, when you face tough times, things beyond yourself, you can cry out to God for his love and his power. He loves you enough to die for you. He has power to change your life. Co-mingle those two in your mind. If for you he is God, you, you, you just dump this mess of your life before him and you know, you know that he has total love for you. If he's God, he's got complete power to, do, to, to, to change your life, to do the right thing. And he's always going to do the right thing. And you bring this mess to him, and the love and power of God are all working together for you if you believe he's God. But if you think he's only a man, you don't have that. If you believe he's God and trust him as your Savior, Know this, you will live again, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, they listen to me. I give them eternal life. And no man, no man can ever snatch them out of my hand. He is the proto. Because he lives, you live. L listen to this, John 6, 44. All that the Father gives me, John 6, 44, I will raise up on the last day. Every believer is going to be in heaven. Of course there's anxiety with death. You're anxious about it, but you don't fear it. There is a difference. You don't fear it. Now listen, if you don't fear death, there's not a whole lot in your life you're going to fear. You're not afraid to die. You're not going to be afraid. I mean, look, listen to what Paul said. I mean, this is a wonderful analogy. 1 Corinthians 15, he analogized death to a bee. 
Ever read that? He says, oh, de- well, what are you fearing to be? The stinger, right? So what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? He says, oh, death, where is your sting? <laughs> you lost your stinger, and I'm not afraid of you. Amen. Death was chomping at Paul's heels, trying to make him afraid. And Paul turns around and said, you stupid bee, you lost your stinger. Death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's man, that's the best. If he's God, if he's a man, he's still in the grave, see? Here's something else too, man. We, this is 1 Thessalonians 4. This turns me on, baby, I'll tell you. We, 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 we. Look at that word we. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. It's somewhere in there. But Paul says, we, 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 we. That means you and your loved ones who have died believing in Christ. We shall ever be with the Lord. And sure, you hurt when somebody you love dies. There's no question about that. You have an ache inside. How can anybody go through death and not be a Christian? You will forever be with, we will forever be with the Lord, the word of God says. So you hurt when somebody dies, but here's what you know, and this gets you through it. You will see them again, and you will know them. Their body's going to be totally different. In their resurrected body, it's going to be totally, totally different, but you will see them, and you will know them, and you will be forever together. And yeah, you're going to cry at the funeral home, but through the tears, other people are going to sense your hope, even your joy, if he is God, not man. Is he God to you? Here's something else. He turns our sorrow to joy. I mean, they're walking to Emmaus, and after they recognize him, they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? And the women, Matthew 28, the women, a combination of emotion, fear, and great joy. He turns your sorrow to joy. Man, what a blessing. He turns your sorrow to joy. How does he do it? I think you know joy is not, it's not ha, ha, he, he, joy is internal, right? And we make too big a deal out of that. The joy is internal and it's not, it's not laughing and ha, ha, he, he. But here's what I know. I know if your joy is internal, if it's inside you, there better be some ha, ha's and he, he's. And there better be some laughter, folks. And there better be some obvious joy in your life because God does not want gloomy Christians. And we never look at our life or give other people the impression that, you know, oh, my life is just one long burden because I live for Jesus. My life is a joy. Now, you know this. The Father in heaven may not. I said he may not change your life circumstance. He may not. But you know what God does? Here's how God gives you joy. He changes the way. I mean, he may change your life circumstance. Sure, he may. He may do that. Remember, he's got all love and all power working for you. We, we don't put that beyond God. He can change you. But let's say he decides not to change your life circumstance. You still get joy. How? Because you get a different perspective on the issue. God, the Spirit, is in you. And you see this whole thing in a different light. And when you see it in a different light, you've got joy inside of you. Here's what I mean. There's some people in your life who aggravate you. But now you're looking at those people and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is developing my, 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 my power, my stamina to love. God is making me a better lover. And see, you think about that. You think, wait a minute, this person is so difficult to love. And, and, and now I'm loving these people. I'm able to give myself to these people and not resent these people and not hate these people and not want to get back at these people. Something's happened inside me. That's joy. You got all this pain 
and all you're doing is grousing and moaning about the pain. But the Spirit of God begins to change you and work inside you. And you begin to think, man, when I don't have the pain, life is going to be cool, you know? And I'm going to do a lot more thanking God for the good health I do have. And something's happening inside you, and you begin to see that. See, and joy, build that. That's joyful. That's a reason to rejoice. I mean, after Jesus' death, these guys were so gloomy. What am I going to do now? They said, there was no future without him. And then Jesus revealed himself, and they saw him, and his disciples saw him. And they're telling stories. They're telling these stories of joy. The Emmaus disciples went to the 11 disciples and said, guess what? We saw Jesus. We saw him too. And there was such ecstatic joy. Well, you're not going to see Jesus in person, but is he alive in your life? How do you know he's alive in your life? You know, I have defining moments in my life, and you've got to look for these things. You've got to have the perception of faith, the eyes of faith, to see Jesus Christ alive in your life. Because there's some stuff in your life and my life that is so private and so personal, you don't tell anybody, you don't tell your mom and dad, you don't tell your husband or wife, it's just going on inside you. Anybody like that? And then God does something and speaks to that issue and tells you, I know. Aren't those great moments? But I want to tell you what, God takes your sorrow, He turns it to joy, and He is alive in your life. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.